I understand that that's really history talking and not necessarily that they're making it up. This is Alice. This is Shafali. And you're listening to Peds Admit. Today we're going to be talking about what is arguably one of the most important things we counsel our patients on, and that is birth control. Yes, such an important topic. Today we're going to be probably part one of about four parts. Um, <laughs> but this first section is framing the conversation, which I think is really maybe the most important, most crucial part of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this conversation is has the potential always to go off the rails a little bit, especially because I think patients have very valid questions, but many questions. Mm -hmm. There's so many types of birth control, so many brands within each type. There's just so many kind of nuances to it that it's important to know, to sort of have a general outline for how it's going to go. So we're going to be sitting down with Dr. Natalie DeRoso. She is a adolescent medicine fellow at Mount Sinai, and I'm excited to get started. (laughs) Yeah, let's hop to it. Nat, thank you so much for joining us today. You are here to talk to us about birth control options. Yes, thanks for having me. So I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Natalie DeRoso. I'm a physician in New York City. I'm an adolescent medicine fellow at Mount Sinai. And I am also a fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health in their Leadership Training Academy. So I'm really interested in reproductive health and access to reproductive technology. So I'm really glad to join you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us. We we want to dive right into birth control. This is something that we we like to address at adolescent visits in general, but just I guess we always think about addressing sexual health at all of our adolescent visits. In what settings is it appropriate to to discuss birth control options? So, I think I probably talk about birth control at every visit to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um because teenagers are having sex and it's like a pretty reproductive like time of their life, right? So it's the highest time you can get pregnant. And I think it's important to start talking to them about myths and misconceptions that they have about birth control. You'd be surprised how early those things start. Um, in life and how people are talking about it or what they've heard in the neighborhood. So even if someone's not interested, I like to let them know that it's available and that I'm a prescriber and what their options are. And so there's a lot of different kind of setups. So the most common thing, like I just mentioned, is people who are sexually active and then they want to come and get birth control whether or not their parents are involved. So in New York City, I'm allowed to dispense birth control without parental consent. And that's a lot of, at least like, you know, the liberal leaning East Coast states. I think DC is the same where adolescents who are sexually active have um, the right to seek confidential reproductive care. I do have patients who come in with their parents sometimes. Like the parent will be like, oh, my daughter, I know my daughter is having sex. And so I'm going to bring her in. We've already had the conversation. That makes my life so much easier because I'll just ask the mom what she's been on. And then go from there. But sometimes, a lot of times where I work, I see kids by themselves. So a lot of times the kids come on their own. And so parents aren't necessarily involved in the decision. But I do have to think about what's a good method for them, whether or not they want their parents to, to know or not know. Another really common thing is... You know, people who are sexually active, but also want period control. So um, a lot of people think that, they, you know, their period is what it is, right? So like if my period's heavy, my period's really painful, 
my mom had heavy periods, my grandma had heavy periods, like, that's just what it is. But often, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, we can try to augment, try to make sure your period's lighter, shorter, make sure that you're not missing days of school because of your period. So, you know, it's, it's like a two prong approach, right? So it's helpful to be like, okay, I, you, also, you also are not interested in getting pregnant right now, but I can also make your period lighter. And then there's just another like kind of class of people who kind of just are not necessarily sexually active, but do want period control or really need contraception straight up, right? So I have a couple of transplant patients. So some of you had solid kidney transplants. You really shouldn't get pregnant within the first two years of getting a transplant. It makes you a really high DVT risk. And so those people, I try to get on birth control ASAP. We've also had people like who are waiting to get their transplant who are sexually active. And we've also had, you know, some some young ladies with congenital heart disease mm-hmm. who really like they can't handle that extra cardiac load of being pregnant. And so I try to talk to them before they get pregnant and then have to make a difficult decision. We see a lot more kids who are getting bariatric surgery now. Mm-hmm. In addition, like you really shouldn't be trying to get pregnant. I think it's anywhere between 11 to 15 months. It depends on the location, but it's at least over a year that you should not be trying to get pregnant after getting bariatric surgery. Mostly, you know, you want, you want to maximize how much weight loss you actually get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then also the risk of getting pregnant after recently having bariatric surgery and the risk to the fetus and having, not having enough nutrients is something to consider. So I also talk to those patients. And then I also have like some trans patients, so some trans masculine individuals who are really very dysphoric around their period. So it causes them a lot of depression, anger. Sometimes, well, you know, sometimes their testosterone isn't cutting it in terms of suppressing their menses or they're not on ready to go on testosterone yet. And they're not on like a Lupron, like a puberty blocker. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do some menstrual suppression there, there as well. Or if they're just continually having spotting while well, testosterone is a good option. So there's a really wide range of where and when you can use birth control. So I find that it comes up in like almost every conversation. Oh my gosh, yeah. So many really good reasons. Mm-hmm. Life is I, reasons not to get not to get a period sometimes. Yeah. I think I found it as an adolescent person in residency, I'd have like some people who were like, well, I don't care about birth control. I'm going to cardiology. And I'm like, well, you do care. <laughs> you better start caring. Comes in like six months pregnant and you're like, this is not good. So yeah, there are a lot of applications. Oh my gosh. That's really interesting. And I hadn't actually considered some of those. That's, that was great. What kind of follow-up questions do you ask patients to get a better idea of what their goals are? How do you, how do you phrase those questions? So I think something that's common in medical training is to really talk to people about their pregnancy intentions. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about being pregnant? Have you thought about what you do if you get pregnant? Uh, what are your plans around getting pregnant? So I find personally that a lot of my teenagers aren't necessarily even thinking about whether or not they can get pregnant or they're, they'll tell me, I don't want to get pregnant. And so I try to talk to them about the difference between action and intention, right? So a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to get pregnant, but your actions say something opposite, right? You're having unprotected sex and you're not, you're choosing not to go on a method. So you're actually doing all the things that are trying, that are trying to get pregnant, right? When, When your intention is otherwise. So how can we make the two meet? And then the other thing I like to do is talk a little about what their thoughts are on birth control. A lot of young ladies who are from like diverse backgrounds, especially Black and Hispanic individuals, 
And I think that, you know, the history of medicine and gynecology has certainly done a number on people of color in terms of histories of coercive contraception, forced sterilization. And that really trickles down. Like, you know, when 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds tell me they don't want something in their body or they're worried that they'll never get pregnant because they tried the birth control pill, I understand that that's really history talking and not necessarily that they're making it up, right? Or that it's just fear. It is something that they that's in the community. It is something that they've heard from parents, friends, people at their church, school. So I try to really talk about what are the myths, which are commonly like, it's going to affect my long-term fertility. I'm going to get fat. It's going to make my mood terrible, which are all real and honest concerns. And so, you know, it can be a long conversation. Sometimes people come for visits and we just talk about birth control. Like, what do you know? Here are the facts. And, you know, think about this and come back if no one's ready to start that day. But I try to be a source of information and, and honesty. Wow. That's that's so impactful that when they come to you with a myth, that there's actually a robust history where the people that are telling them these things, it was true. Yeah. I mean, I so with Physicians for Reproductive Health, I spent like a year doing their program. And they talked a lot about reproductive justice, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the intersectionality that people of color, indigenous people and LGBT people live in and how, you know, their race, their ethnicity, their sexual gender orientation and their reproductive health and access interacts with society around it and government and health systems. And so we don't really think about that that much in in education training and we don't about how, you know, this, these like passed on stigmas can really interact and change how people are acting and how people, we really need to focus on giving people back their choice mm-hmm. in their reproductive control and really to give it back, let them make, you have to let the birth control be patient centered mm-hmm. and let them make decisions for them. So it can be hard when you're with a 16 year old that you really like, I don't want you to get pregnant. I really want you to do this. You should do that. Mm-hmm. But understanding that people need to work from a place where they feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And the action versus intention framework for talking to a person, I'm sure permeates into all areas of life. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people don't think about it. I, you know, I, I do get a laugh usually when I'm like, listen, you're doing everything you can <laughs> to actually get pregnant. And then they, you know, they kind of chuckle and they're like, oh, I guess you're kind of right. And so it does change the framework, right? Instead of, I think with adolescents, you want to make sure you're not always just wagging your finger at them and saying, you're doing this wrong. I start with like, okay, you know what you want out of life. Great. How can we get you to doing what what you want to do? Because what you seem to be doing is not exactly the same thing. I recently, I didn't use the phrase action and intention. I definitely am going to start doing that. But I recently had a conversation with a patient where I was like, you know, a lot of the action, a lot of things that you're doing, I would tell someone who wants to get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Are you taking a (laughs) new? And I think that's fine. You know, it, it, with uh, I'm, I use a very straightforward approach. And I think that's yeah. a good way to approach it to kind of, you know, staying the same thing. It's just kind of telling that your actions don't meet what you desire. Right. So let's talk about actually doing right what you want. If you want to lose weight and you're having Chick-fil-A every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Chick-fil-A. I was going to say. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A, but it's not going to work. Exactly. Know? So what you're telling me is that my actions and intentions are not exactly. Exactly. You know, if you're like, I'm allergic to vegetables. I, you know, I don't know where to meet you here. <laughs> That's a great point. Okay. So we would love to dive into the science and really the 
the education that we need to pass on to patients with each of these methods. Before we start, do you have a, a one sentence sort of, if someone really is just looking at you and they're like, what's available? Okay. That's a great question. I think I've been trying to, uh, in the three years of fellowship, craft a group and make it as short as possible. It really depends on their knowledge base. Okay. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. you start start something and you realize they don't really know exactly what's up from down, like what's a floating tube, what's an ovary. I do kind of go into a little basic stuff about like, What's your period? Why does your period happen? And essentially, I really explain, I think the core of the explanation is I let them know you have a couple of hormones that make you get pregnant. You have estrogen and progesterone. What birth control does, it either gives you both of those hormones or a small amount of one of the hormones to mimic what's already in your body. And it hits a pause on your menstrual cycle. And that helps you not to release an egg so you don't get pregnant. It makes your uterine lining thinner so that you don't have as much of a heavy period and a shorter, lighter period. And it might help make your period, you know, better overall. I like to use the word pause because, you know, people are really kind of fixated on this is going to be a permanent thing. And I think saying it's a pause is a little bit more understandable that they understand that like when you get off birth control, it goes back to play, right? Like, you know, you're not losing these eggs, Uh your fertility will return, you will ovulate afterwards. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I really, I really like the use of the word pause because that is a frequent, like immediate barrier, uh, at least in a lot of my conversations about birth control with patients, especially when you try to broach the topic of an IUD and they're like, absolutely not. I think that's when I have to use it the strongest. Mm -hmm. People definitely like, you know, people have seen people get pregnant on the pill, right? They've seen people get pregnant on depo. They know that like, if you don't take it on time, but people really worry about IUDs and LARCs and Mm -hmm. they are highly effective, right? Like an IUD can be as effective as sterilization. To be honest, Mm -hmm. the only difference is that it's reversible. So really explain to people that this is not a permanent thing, that this is a pause. It's helpful to kind of see if you can circumvent that idea. Mm -hmm. So we, we know, or at least in our, most of our conversations, we try to incorporate some framework for the efficacy for all mm-hmm. of these different methods. How do you incorporate this into your conversation? So I think I, I always talk about efficacy and like what typical and perfect use is. I think sometimes with adolescents, especially if you're seeing them by themselves, it can be difficult to go into the percentages. Um, I really like using that bedsider.org mm-hmm. chart. Have you guys ever seen yeah, that? It's great because it has the picture of how many people. So typically when I'm talking about efficiency, I first of all like to ask people like, what kind of birth control do you think you want to go on? Because if you start with the whole spiel and they already know I'm getting the pill, I came in today here to get the pill. That's what my friends have. They will like not listen to you the whole time because they'll be like, this lady's trying to sell me on something else, right? It's kind of like if you go get a car and you're like, I want a Prius and they're showing you these Range Rovers, you're like, I, I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want the Prius. Exactly. So I usually start off with what, what did you come in mind? And if, if they came with something in mind, I start there. And I'm like, okay, you came with the pill. And I use the chart to guide me and say like, okay, like here's the pill. It's a great method you know, let me explain what this chart is about and why it's in this context of the chart, right? So the pill is second tier, meaning that it's efficient, but you know, there are people do get pregnant because typical use doesn't equal perfect use. And so I do show them like, okay, you know, when people, you know, if you take this hundred percent of the time, your chances of getting pregnant are very slim, like one to 2%. But most people don't take this 
the way they're supposed to take it. And that's why there are like, you know, four women pregnant in this last box on the side, right? That's why perfect use doesn't equal, typical use doesn't equal perfect use. And then I use the other boxes to contextualize. So then I say, okay, you want the pill and here's what the pill is, but let's talk about what's above it and why these methods are more efficient. So the, you know, I always use that the implant and the IUD are kind of like set it and forget it methods. They're not user dependent. You put them in, they do their job, you don't mess around with them. Whereas these other methods, you know, depending on which one you choose, you're either doing something every day, every week, every month, or four times a year. So that covers your pill, your patch, your ring and depo. So they understand that like the thing above is what they're using for, you know, years. Another thing is had different time intervals. And I think it validates at least their choice and what they came in. And it's kind of like, okay, you're choosing this menu, but let me just tell you all the specials today. And that's, wait, I'd love to hit that again. So every day, every week, every month or every year. Well, every day, every week, every month, and, and four, four times, times a year. A year. Every, yes. every, three to- every three months, so it's every season, essentially. So like how, how much do you want to deal with your birth control? Yeah. Because like, mm-hmm. you know? it helps. To, I think sometimes it helps to like contextualize efficiency also in the amount of times that you have to use them, right? Like the implant is really efficient because it goes in and it stays in. You don't have to take mm-hmm. it out, right? People don't have to go get another script. There's not all these pitfalls that make you forget to take your method on time. It's in your arm and it stays in your arm. So sometimes I, when I mention how often you're using it, I'm, I'm trying to sell that portion yeah. of why something is more efficient than the other. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I even like, you know, I'll kind of, um, I'll kind of like relate things to things kids already know and have. Right. So, you know, a lot of my kids have iPhones. So I'll be like, you know, your ID, your implant is iPhone 11. <laughs> it's super easy to use. Face recognition, one, two, three. Right. But your, you know, your, your pill is like iPhone 6. <laughs> like, you know, always charging it. Exactly. I had a patient who came in and she wanted to go from a next plan to a mini pill, which I find is very difficult for adolescents. Oh I, yes, exactly. And I was basically like, you're going from an iPhone 11 to a flip phone. I understand. <laughs> like a flip phone AT&T service, you know, like, and it's going to be like a work all the time. Right. Um, it's it's going to be a little finicky than what you have. And she's like, oh, that's fine. I, I get it. That's what I want. And I was like, okay, great. That's what you want. But I do want you to contextualize. This is the old model. What, this is the oldest model. <laughs> oldest model, flip phone, you know, like, not even, not even a keyboard. You gotta like you know, times to get the letters. It's the, oh my gosh! Um, you know. <laughs> and so I think people, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily like just going through efficiency doesn't necessarily get people to do what you think is mm-hmm. most efficient, but at least understand like what this chart means and what their options are. Yeah, and they have a right to know. Exactly, they're not asking. Exactly, mm-hmm. and and they have a right to understand that like okay, the importance of what they choose and making sure they're efficient with what they choose, right? So important to be like, you know, okay, you're going to go with the pill, but you need to remember, like, it's really important to take it every day at the same time. Otherwise, you know, not going to be as effective, whereas this other thing might. Wow. 
Shvali, that was quite a conversation. It was quite a conversation. What a journey. Um, as we said before, this is part one of what will be a multi-part series. This is a multi-part uh, series. So stay tuned is stay what we're tuned. trying to say. Exactly. And we're hoping that this helped you, you know, bolster your, your toolkit in terms of how to approach this conversation. Important conversations. Important conversations. We're so grateful to Natalie for her time. And we're excited to be back soon. So as always... <laughs> As always, might we remind you that our Instagram is fire. You can reach us on Twitter at the handle admitpeds, but we don't know how to tweet. And you can reach us anytime at pedsadmit at gmail.com. We also respond to personal letters as well as text messages. We respond to letters. We respond to DM. We're really eager about responding to DM. Exactly. Um, Just text us. (laughs) We'll see you next time. See you next time.